You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. We are live, but not really live because it's being recorded. So, <laughs> all right, welcome to the uh, welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. I have a special guest today, Katie Brinston. Uh, she has been a new member here at the gym at CrossFit Moncton for a little while. Um, she might be able to talk about her experience if she'd like. Um, uh, she is a strategist, a daycare operator, and a mom, and uh, a lot of other things as well. So, welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Awesome. So what made you decide to start uh, at Cross the Moncton? Let's just start with that. Um, I would say it was new and intimidating. And I had a, I guess, a, a preconceived opinion on what that looked like. Being a yoga teacher, I had always kind of shied away from any heavy lifting or what I thought to be damage to my body. Uh, my partner started and his whole team at work started and they all really enjoyed it and he couldn't stop raving about it. So I thought, okay, set your your beliefs aside. You actually have never done it. So you really have no idea what it's like. Um, and I decided to dive in and try and I love it. I have found um, a lot of pain that I was managing go away because of the strength balance that I'm now accumulating in my body, which is pretty exciting for me. And I mean, I hope none of my yogi friends are listening. I've done more at uh, CrossFit than I have in the yoga studio wow. these days. So I, I, you know, needless to say, I'm loving it. Awesome. You mentioned earlier, so we just got finished uh, prior to this recording, uh, a little strategy session when it comes to, to business and stuff. And you were just telling me to get rid of my preconceived notions about basically everything, right? Kind of mm -hmm. open up my mind. So what led to you getting rid of your preconceived notions? How, when, when did that or how did that happen? Well, um, typically when I become resistant to something or have any discomfort or fear, I have, I guess, become um, used to looking into that. So as soon as I, I put up the don'ts or the can'ts or the always or the nevers, I have gotten really good at, at pinpointing when I use that language and why that is. So for me, that's a cue to look a little deeper. What is it um, in my belief system or, you know, whatever it is that has influenced me to say that, that is actually driving that. So... I like to lean into that uncomfortable stuff, that scary stuff, because I know that I'm only going to grow in one way or another by gaining a new perspective, learning something new, or maybe, you know, I don't like it, but now I know I've tried it and I'm able to actually speak to it and have a real idea of what that scenario or, or situation is like. It's really interesting. That's it, you're really describing a, a completely different mindset than what most people have because if they have that preconceived notion of any, anything, it doesn't have to be CrossFit or fitness related, um, really just anything new or different, um, they put up this wall right away. Oh, that's scary. I, I can't do it or I don't want to do it or I don't even want to look into it. 
So why, what, what happened in your life where you started to look deeper into your belief systems? When, when did that all change for you? Cause we're not born that way. We're born no. with these walls kind of in, in our face. So when did that come about and how? Yeah, I would say that we are, we're definitely born with those walls in our face because we have an instinct to protect ourselves. And when something's unknown, it's scary and we put up a wall to protect ourselves. Um, there are definitely some different cultures out there that lead with fear. Um, we're not one of them, but uh, they're, they're definitely something interesting to study. But I would say the more bold action I took in my life to relieve pain and situations that I knew I didn't want to be into, um, it got easier. It was like exercising a muscle for me. So the way I like to describe it to people is if you've never ran before and you've avoided running, and even on top of that, if you have an idea that running isn't good for you or that you and people in your family are not runners, the likelihood of you becoming somebody who wins like a triathlon um, are pretty slim. The first time you hit the pavement, you're going to run to the end of the street. You're going to be gassed. Um, you're going to decide right there, this is not for you. Yes, you just confirmed all of your beliefs. Uh, your experience confirmed your beliefs, and you're going to go back home and never run again. So knowing that I had to push through, and you know, if we're going to talk about resiliency, become resilient against situations where I felt I wasn't able to do them and then I ended up doing them. I got really excited about disproving a belief or a piece of my identity that wasn't serving me. So as soon as I noticed that happening, a few big epic moments, um, you know, one would be definitely leaving the struggle of abusing drugs and alcohol in my 20s. I, I kind of... I didn't go through rehab. It was more of an aha moment that this is not the life I want to keep living every day when I wake up. I'm not feeling like this is what I'm meant to be doing. And just took a step back from everyone in my life and the circumstance and changed it. And it wasn't easy. It was really uncomfortable. I felt I belonged with these people. So I was pulling myself away from one of those basic human needs that sense of belonging and I sat in a very uncomfortable spot for weeks and months um, I found new people to belong with that were a little more serving for me and uh, I noticed that that was pretty interesting I thought I was this person that was my identity and then I wasn't so what happened in between I started to observe that and become really interested in that process um, again, I got into a relationship with someone. Um, we fell pregnant pretty soon into our relationship. And the, you know, the reality is we weren't really good for each other. But being somebody who believed they were going to marry someone, be with them for the rest of their life, and that that's what I was supposed to do, the lies, the internal lies started to happen. It was really difficult to go against that belief and tell myself that, you know what, this relationship isn't for either one of us and I should probably not be in it. Um, so that belief system was being threatened again and I stayed in the relationship for a period of time. We got married um, and it became, you know, that pivotal moment where it was so painful to continue this relationship or threaten my belief system. So hopped out of that, very uncomfortable again, a lot of growth, a lot of 
rediscovering my identity and uh, just kind of kept going with it. I dove into my yoga training, which was huge in the self-awareness piece of leaning into uncomfortable, fearful situations. And it plays a lot with, the psychology of yoga plays a lot with where your decisions are coming from. Are they coming from a place of fear? Are you letting fear call the shots? Or are they coming from a place of faith where you're going to go into a situation and have faith that whatever the outcome is, even if it's not the desired outcome, you're going to be okay. So that kind of, we practiced and strengthened that resilient muscle, that courage muscle uh, a lot in our training. More than I expected. We don't just get into a room and start doing handstands. We didn't do one handstand, just to be clear. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of internal work, so. That'd be exciting, but not uh, yeah, not but productive. No, I mean, productive in a way, I guess. <laughs> sure. So I want to rewind. Um, do, so you mentioned a belief that you disproved. How did you decide to do that, though? Because there's a lot of people listening to this that might be, that might have or are currently in a situation that you were in. How do you just decide? What, what do you do? Uh, you don't just decide. So there was so many pieces and little bits and tidbits if you're looking of evidence that that is not what is good for you that's not what keeps you in a balanced state so you have to be looking though um i would say you have to be looking or you can look back so I think it's great to journal on past events. You don't have to journal. That is not a necessary piece to self-awareness. It is a good tool to use. Uh, you can sit in self-reflection, but reflecting on your past, how did I feel after a certain situation? Was it serving me? Was it not? You really start to take a look at the results that you're getting, where they're coming from, and you dive into it it's scary as hell, but you dive in and you're asking yourself a ton of questions. So is that what I want to do? Is that who I want to be? Does that have to be true for me? Do you feel, so we hear a lot of these success stories from people like, they, you know, they rise from the ashes. Do you feel that you have to be in a low point, that you have to be in pain in order to come out of that as a more resilient person? Um, I don't think that there is a straight answer for that. So I do think that a life without pain is a painful life. And I'll explain why. Yeah, so, I, I, that just threw up a bunch of questions. Right? You're like, huh? <laughs> so if you never experience pain, how do you know what joy is? Correct. Um, the more pain, I guess, and um, adversity that you face... Sometimes, not always, the more grateful and appreciative you are of those moments where you're not experiencing pain and adversity. And now you can clearly define for yourself, because this is different for every person on earth, what causes someone pain might be someone else's joy. Um, you can clearly define for yourself what that looks like and be able to appreciate the highs and the lows and then also know that from pain is growth, if you allow it to be. I think that there's really two different 
outcomes, there's probably more than two, but for me and my observations, there's two different outcomes from a, a hard moment in life. If you survive it, you live through it, you're still a functioning person in society, you could either be just surviving that, and that's still resiliency, or you can use the resiliency to thrive instead of survive. So I think that that has to pair with courage and a growth mindset to thrive from that type of resiliency. Because if a terrible thing happens to someone, say they lose a loved one who's young and un it's unexpected, and you're living through that, you're still you know, walking around, going to work, um, eating food, and doing all the basic human needs to survive, it doesn't mean that you are thriving. It could be actually a very miserable life. Um, but if you take that and you apply courage to continue living your life and also couple that with growth mindset, knowing that you can be whole again, there is always an opportunity to be the version of yourself that you want to be, no matter if you think you were born with it or not. I think that's complete bullshit. Um, that I think that's what creates a very strong, resilient person that has done something with that resiliency. I totally, so we always see these stories though. We, mm -hmm. like most of the successful people that you see on stage as <clears throat> keynote speakers have gone through something really terrible or, you know, really hard, really painful. We see things like, you know, I survived a, a heart transplant or, uh, I was living on the streets and now I'm, mm -hmm. you know, super rich and I live wherever I want, right? Why don't we hear stories as much about people that are just doing okay becoming super successful, whatever that means? Um, I think so. This is something that I actually talk about a lot right now with my partner and with people in my life because it's one of those pieces that I'm reflecting on and that I've always been interested in so you know going back to my youth with you know dabbling with drugs dabbling like I was definitely deep into drugs and alcohol <laughs> um and so were all of my friend circles um so coming out of that let's say there was 10 of us in the beginning three to four passed away from drug overdose uh some are still dabbling or whatever you want to call it and then others came out and are okay and others came out and are really stepping into their own greatness. And it's amazing to watch. What is the difference with those people? I am fascinated by studying that. Yes, that is the question so I have. <laughs> my answer to that is my perspective. So I want to make sure that anybody listening knows that this is not what I'm presenting to you as fact. I think it's the state of their support so their place that they belonged before they started using a substance to, you know, a drug or whatever, um, was it because they were exploring? Was it because they were trying to solve pain in their life? Was it because they were trying to um, forget their life? What is the support system that they have always? 
Um, I noticed when I look back on people that we lost to drugs and alcohol, they had a really poor support system. Either their parents were abusers as well or weren't active in their life. They really didn't have any one person that they knew loved them unconditionally that they could lean on. That I did Mm -hmm. notice. I also noticed people that may have had a loving family, but they didn't talk about the hard shit. They really were very... Um, surface in what they dove into and I think it was just a lack of of empathy a lack of recognizing their emotions and being able to label them I can't even stress how important that is um, to understand what you're feeling so that you can talk about it to people that might need help especially your children Um, so a lack of understanding emotions and powerful shifts in life and being able to discuss that with their rock I like to call it Um, Might have been another factor. And I really think, like, looking back, it took a lot of courage to do drugs. It was scary. It's like, that's really scary. Like, I've heard of... There's a lot of unknowns. Right? I'm like, I've (laughs) heard of people dying from that. And look at that person. They, like, jumped off a a bridge and killed themselves. Like, it took a lot of courage to put myself in a position where I was with people and doing drugs in copious amounts. And to continue to live that life and to be kicked out of apartment after apartment because we were throwing parties, that was a a lot of bravery. It's a weird thing to say, but when I look back, like, I mean, it's there, there was friends that hung around with me the whole time that never touched drugs, but they were really scared of it. And I watched them living a very fearful life right now because decisions that they should be making, whether that's leaving a toxic relationship or toxic job, they don't make because it's scary. So I'm not saying do drugs, that's going to make you courageous. There are other ways, but I think that there is a courage piece and so many other factors to mold this person that comes out on the other side or doesn't. Um, and I think it has to do with your setup beforehand, during and after. It's very interesting. I can see that. Um, I really like that you brought up the support system mm. and you know, when, when you're talking about it, you're like that they had that, but really what I want people to take away from this is that you can be that Definitely. for somebody else. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's it. Like that's why they use, um, what do they call it in AA? Your, um, Everybody knows what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're blanking on it, but the person that is your a sponsor, su- your sponsor. Thank that's you. It. I knew it started. I knew this. it. Yeah. He's on the tip of the tongue. <laughs> sponsor. Um, that's why they give you a sponsor because they designate this person to being there for you, whether it's 3 a.m., whether you're fucked up at a party and you can't even speak words. Um, this person is going to be there for you. They're going to support you. You need to know that. How lonely would it be? If um, we were in a scary position and we knew that nobody was there to lean on or to pull us out or to hold your hand. It's funny you bring that up. My my mom, I would consider as one of my biggest people in my support system. When I was growing up as a teenager, we had a contract and I believe it was written. Mm. And it was that if I, I was ever out drinking or was you know in trouble and I couldn't get home safely... I could call her at any time to be picked up and there would be zero questions asked. I have heard of this and I think that's brilliant. And in 
in a sense, without making that a verbal contract, that was what my parents offered me too. Yeah. If you ever need me, call me. I don't care what time it is. We put them through hell, me and my brother both. Like he was in this with me. We were at the parties together. Um, I can't imagine what we put my parents through now that I am a parent. The nights that you like, it just chews me up inside. But they were always there and we knew that. And they were never enabling us. They wouldn't say, you can do drugs in this house. This is where, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna support you financially. They were like, you know, I'm going to come pick you up and I'm going to let you sleep here. But then you need to get the hell out and get your shit together. Like they, we knew their love was there. Mm-hmm. We knew that they didn't look at us with hate or disgust because of our choices. That it was a choice that was separate from us and it wasn't who we were. They continued to reiterate that. They also had an extremely open dialogue with us that was safe. I I felt safe to tell my mom what drugs I did. And although it probably like, she's like, what the hell is that? That was not around when I was younger. Um, It was just, she allowed that to be a safe place to talk. And to, you know, I felt like there was nothing I couldn't tell her. Now, I didn't tell my mom everything, obviously. Yeah, well, you can't tell them everything. That is, no. that would probably give her a heart attack. But like she didn't find out that I used to drive the car and ramp, <clears throat> ramp it over uh, railroad tracks to see how much air I could get. Well, now she knows. Well, I told her that afterwards. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, there were cert- certain things you save for later once everything's settled. Ten years later. Yeah. Now it's yeah. Now it's funny. You're like, did you know I'm the one that that smashed your car and it wasn't yeah. the neighbor? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I love that. So yeah, being being that support system for others is kind of a so like based on what we just talked about, that is something that I would want to do for my daughter and for my kids, right? To to be that same, to have that same level of care, empathy, compassion, and openness um, to to be their rock, mm-hmm. as you mentioned earlier. So um, you've been talking a lot about growth mindset. Can you dive into that? Tell me what that is. Oh my God. I can tell. Well, like, do you have four hours? Um, <laughs> I know it's a big, so... <laughs> it's a big topic and it could go on for hours, but yeah, just uh, give me the, the, your, your personal version here. So without really knowing what exactly growth mindset was, I was definitely dabbling with discussing it for the past four or five years of my life when I fell upon the actual terminology for it and who coined the term Carol Dweck, Um, and exactly how she clarified that was, it was kind of an aha moment for me. That's exactly what I've been trying to teach myself and to share with others, Um, especially in yoga classes or just when, you know, somebody comes to you looking for advice. Uh, Growth mindset is the idea that nobody's born with any innate talents or with a lack of innate talents. So, Everybody has this clean slate when you slip out of the womb. Um, That's a gross way to describe it, but I I just did that. Um, So everybody's born with the same opportunity. Not saying, for example, I I like to use physical um, comparison because as we know visually, there are differences with people's physical makeup. So if you have uh, person A and person B, person A may have been born with a bigger muscle mass and person B with a lesser muscle mass. It doesn't mean that person B cannot be the best quarterback or the best weightlifter. They just might have to try a little bit harder. So everybody has the capability of achieving whatever they want to achieve. If you want to be a famous singer and you suck at singing today, it's actually just muscles in your throat 
mindset, so the belief, your belief in doing it like 100%, not just lying to yourself and saying that you can, um, finding a way to make that a real belief that you could adopt through repetition of visualizing it and many other means, you can be whatever you want. That's growth mindset. Every single piece of physical, mental, and emotional uh, attributes of a person can be grown. I see them all as muscles that need to be exercised. They can be weak, they can be strong, they can be moderate. It all depends on where you want to focus and if you are willing to believe in growth mindset. So I like asking this question, what's the opposite? Fixed mindset. Tell me a bit about that. Uh, fixed mindset is the belief that you, you know, no matter how hard you try, you can't be a singer. You can't be a ballerina. You could never be this or you are always going to be this. So the four words I like to look for when I'm coaching people um, to discover whether or not they have a fixed or a growth mindset, because people are going to want to tell you they have a growth mindset. Nobody wants to believe they have a fixed mindset, but it comes up in their actions, their experience, and the vocabulary. Yep. So you're looking for words like can't, don't, always, and never. Those are fixed words. I love, love, love the word yet. So I love to, I, he mentioned that I, I have a daycare. So right now I have the privilege of having some school-aged children in my care. And man, they are so malleable. And they, they will mostly eat up whatever you feed to them. And I'm really grateful to have learned the tools to feed them growth mindset tools. So when they come to me, they're like, oh, I'm not good at soccer. Well, you're not good at soccer yet. Let's practice. You can get good at soccer. Do you think that uh, little Beckett woke up one day and started kicking a ball and was an awesome soccer player? No, he practiced. He tried. He didn't give up. So it's that don't give up. Failure and mistakes are what you want. If you're not making mistakes and failing, failing, you're not trying. You're also not learning. And you're not learning. Exactly. Like it, when you look at, you know, I love using my partner's brother as an example. When you look at Dan Martell, ask him how many times he fucked up in his life. Ask him how many times he failed and made mistakes and had businesses that closed. A lot. Because he is where he is now, he chose to take those failures and mistakes and turn them into opportunities to learn and discover where he needed to grow. That's growth mindset. So fixed is is the I can't, I never, I, I don't do that, or I don't want to try. Yeah. And those are really just describing limiting, they're limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. You've, you've just set up a wall basically and said that I'm going to live in this wall and there's nothing that I can do about it. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. And, right? and there are definitely pieces that you've adopted from so many various ways so it could be a a lot comes from the people you spend the most time with all your life so of course we're gonna look at family um teachers mentors uh you know educators that are with children in daycare uh friends you know if we're talking about young people because really your belief and identity system is pretty embedded by the age of 12. uh from there and and that's not that it's in not changeable so i want to make that very clear right now it's just going to take some active work. It could be quick. It depends on how much you already believe in growth mindset and in the ability to change yourself. 
So that's, I guess, the biggest belief you can adopt is that anything about you you don't like, you can change. Anything that you want to be, you can be. If you start off with that belief, the rest should fall in pretty easy. We have a rule here that at the gym, people have to sign a contract. It's in our policies and procedures that if you say the word can't, you then have to perform 10 burpees. I love it. Because (laughs) when you say that word, you're absolutely right. I can't do a box jump. Yep, you're right. For sure. As soon as you say it, you start to believe it. So we get, we break that down, rewarding people with fitness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't, we don't call it a punishment. We call it a reward. No, no, no. We just want you to remember physically that you can do these things because a lot of people, when they first come in, they say, oh, I can't do a burpee. <laughs> yes, you can. You've laid down on the ground before and you got up. <laughs> you can do that. So there's always, yeah. we, and like exactly <clears throat> what you just said. If somebody says, I can't do a box jump, we always say, yet. Mm -hmm. What can we do to move you in that direction? It might not happen tomorrow or the next week or the next month. But there are things and steps that we can do to put in place to have that. If your vision and your goal is to do a box jump, then we will have a plan set in place for you to make sure that that happens. Exactly. And I would say just like everything else that we're talking about, all these different pieces of you that you can build there's also that awareness piece that you can build. So there's never going to be somebody with a 100% growth mindset. There's always going to be a fixed attribute. We're human. Um, That's just the way we operate. So it's getting good at catching yourself. Don't get frustrated. Frustration has no place in self-growth. Frustration is the ego. Let it go. I catch myself all the time using those words. And I love that I catch myself all the time. It means it's working. I'm, it's, it's happening. It's becoming less and less. I now stop and think a little bit more before I decide to take on a challenge. I actually, I love that you used box jumps. I was here in class with uh, Kristen as my coach for the first time. And I had never tried jumping up. And I, she's like, do you do jump ups or do you step up? I'm like, well, I step up. Haven't tried a box jump yet. I don't know. And uh, of course, my partner knows how I feel about the yet word and the, you know, not trying things. So he's like, well, now you're going to have to try it. I was like, definitely. <laughs> so I did. And I, ju- I was like, oh, my God, I just in my head, I'm like, how are my two feet going to jump up here? OK, let's try it. If I fall on my face, I fall on my face. I didn't fall on my face. I did like 20 and I got tired and I went back to step ups. But yeah. I'm going to keep adding in more. And it was before it would have been like, no, I can't do that. No, that's not. Not yet. So I love I love being able to adopt that more and more into my own life and being able to influence the people around me to adopt it as well. Uh, part of catching those words, I, there's, it's, I find it much easier to catch yourself when those words are written because there's pause, there's time. You can actually see them versus mm-hmm. when you say them. So if people are interested in becoming more aware and getting into that growth mindset and removing those limiting words or those limiting beliefs start by looking at your written word your emails your texts your messages to people when you start to see those words and actually we have a a free community facebook group that i've i've been putting on for just about a year now um i put up a challenge and it was we there were seven or eight words that we had them write out and put on their mirror and whenever they those were the words they were trying to avoid 
Right? Okay. Get get rid of those. Get them out of your language, mm-hmm. and you will see a mind shift happen when you no longer use those words in your written and then eventually your verbal language. I I love the idea of writing that stuff down. I am a huge believer. So something I get my clients to do when they feel emotionally blocked or when they know that something is really holding them back. Um, One of my favorite things to say is you really, you only need to see what someone's experiencing to understand what they believe because your beliefs create the experience that you're living in. Whether they're subconscious, mostly they are. You 5% conscious brain. Um, That is what's driving your experience. So if you're in a situation that you don't like, take a look, start diving in and asking yourself some questions to unlock those subconscious beliefs so that you're able to work with them. But when I have a client that's really stuck and I'm unable to really pick up on some words and some actions or we're not really getting to the root of the limiting belief that's holding them back, I get them to free write. So it's such a powerful exercise. It's best done for five to seven minutes. You put a pen in your hand and you don't take it off paper. Very important to use a pen and not a computer. There is a physical relationship between that. And you just write. It could be, I can't, I don't know why I'm writing right now. This room smells funny. Like, and you just keep writing all the thoughts that are coming up in your head. Um, just so you guys know, this room smells great. That wasn't why I said that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you free write. And then all of a sudden you can look and, and stuff comes up. By the end of the seven minutes, you're talking about this like childhood trauma or um, a really, you know, a piece of you that feels unloved or it it usually somewhere where someone feels they're not enough um so that's that's an interesting way to really start to become a little more self-aware I always recommend free writing and journaling but you can also use a human being so somebody that is a little more aware you know that they've done some personal work Uh, You don't have to hire a coach, maybe a friend that's really good at listening and you're asking for them, okay, let's sit down, have a tea or coffee or whatever. Um, Can you pick up on some of these words for me while we're having this conversation? Start to ask me questions. They can be your your personal coach and be really looking for those words and be giving you that feedback. It's hard when you're so close to your own stuff to be your own coach. Yeah. It's uh, it's harder to smell your own shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's better for somebody <laughs> so else. True. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I like that. I actually witnessed. Um, I was on a coaching call. It was a, a large group coaching call, and I witnessed somebody do it. It wasn't free writing, but it was basically free talking. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy the stuff that came up. Like it went back to, uh, the guy was describing a moment, uh, during Christmas time, and like his mom and dad were there and there was a big fight and argument and it, it got really friggin' deep and it, this conversation started with him wanting to uh, improve his online coaching business and how he was kind of stuck and couldn't get clients. Mm. And it went all the way to this one moment at Christmas time and holy crap, the, the release that happened in that was, it was crazy to watch it's pretty crazy. So you you put so much stuff in your subconscious brain. So you're like, oh, I can't remember someone's phone number. But then you open up your phone and all of a sudden your hand's dialing the number. That's in your subconscious along with many other emotions, stored emotions, memories, beliefs, 
All it takes is for someone of power in your life, someone you admire, to say something to you for you to adopt that belief. It could be a teacher, a parent, a friend. And again, it usually happens early on. It happens all throughout your life, but the bulk of them happen early. Teacher could say, you know what? You're not very good at math. Oh, well, I guess I'm not very good at math. And you go on your whole life. Like Nobody's starts out being good at math. Um, but if somebody tells you that you admire or that you believe their words are true, I mean, you're screwed until you decide to try to play with that in your subconscious and bring that up and, and go against that. You have to disprove your belief. Whenever you're stuck, it always, this is, and I'm going to use the word always because I can here. It always goes back to a belief that you have that is holding you back. And it sucks, but it's also awesome because knowing that gives you the ability to track it, to identify it. Once you identify it, you can start to play with it, start disproving that, start to shift it. Start to look for evidence that is the contrary. For sure. You can do it by asking people, hey, do you think I suck at math? No, actually, you've you've proven to be pretty good at math. Right. And it's, you know. And that's that's a very like math is pretty straightforward. Yeah. It's it basic. can be for other things like it can be for everything. Do you think I'm empathetic? Yeah. Like it, it's a characteristic instead of a kind of a skill. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. I really like that. Um, something that I wrote down earlier. I always take notes when I have these uh, interviews. It's great. Um, we, we're talking about those self-limiting beliefs. Um, that we have. And I just wrote down that we are the average of the the five people that we hang around with the most. Mm-hmm. And how important do you think that is in developing that growth mindset? Um, critical. <laughs> so I, I already knew what you were Yeah. You were like, okay, here she goes. It's, that was, that was a <laughs> lob ball for you. Here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so when you spend time with people, you know, you'll notice when you end up spending time with someone that you don't share the same values and beliefs and you leave that experience, say you had a coffee with an old friend that you're just not really jiving with anymore and you feel kind of drained, you feel a little bit low, a little bit wonky, um, they were trying to, without knowing, push their belief and value system on you and you were having to push back and that takes a lot of energy. So when you, say you decided to let this person back into your life or a person that doesn't align with your values and beliefs, whether they're an old friend or not, doesn't matter. Um, A work environment is a great example, actually. So let's remove that example. You get a new job, you start working. The people that you work with now are kind of negative. They share these really gossipy problems. Um, They're always complaining. Uh, They believe that they're, you know, that work is supposed to suck and that you wake up and it's eight to five and it sucks and you go home and life sucks some more. Um, eventually, whether you like it or not, that is going to affect you. It's going to affect you immediately, but it's going to get into you. You will start to identify and adopt their beliefs, whether it takes six months, a year, or three years, if you stay. You'll notice that in the beginning, you become really out of balance. This will show up physically. You may start to gain weight. You may start to lack sleep or seek pleasure in other areas of your life through food, alcohol, whatever because you're not getting the pleasure that you need from your relationships. Um, They're going against your value system and they're throwing you off balance until you adopt them and then you'll probably stay in an unhealthy position because it sounds like these people are not very healthy um, mentally and physically. 
So whoever you spend the most time with, you will all end up sharing the same problems. The problems come from your beliefs and your identity. You want to share problems. That's, that's important, but you want to share good problems. I want to share millionaire, millionaire problems with people. I want to share big problems. Like how am I going to hop on my jet and get to um, India tonight for a really nice dinner? That's a problem I want to have. So it's, you know, you really have to, what can happen, especially going back to that work environment, if you're working with these people and you decide to better yourself and you're really not happy, you know you're out of balance, you know these are not the values and the beliefs that you want, but you're going to keep working there and you try to make steps towards improving yourself and coming away from their identity and beliefs. You're spending a lot of time with these people. It's eight hours a day. Then you're not going to share the same problems, which is threatening to them because you no longer belong. And then it becomes threatening to you because one of your basic human needs is a sense of belonging. So you're going to go through that weird transitional period like I talked about earlier when I, I left the group of my friends that were choosing to do drugs and alcohol. Um, you're going to go through that weird, you have, a, you have a choice. Do I choose to not belong here anymore and share these problems and be really uncomfortable in this period where I have to find myself again and my new people, my new people that I want to share problems with? Um, or do I stay here? and sink or suffer and just try to survive like you you really only have one life so i hope you're asking yourself that question on the regular hmm. yeah <clears throat> you you basically adopt the behavior of the people that are around you mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. you gave a great example there i don't have experience with uh mm -hmm. with drugs as much or at all really um, but I do have a situation that was similar. I was a former teacher and there was one school that I taught at and it was a culture of complaining. When you stepped into the staff room, it, everybody, everybody in that room was complaining either about their day, the kids that they were teaching, like life at home, whatever it was, it was all complaining. So what I chose to do, I just avoided the staff room. I yeah. refused to go into it and I would either spend time in the weight room with kids or in the gym or in the classroom somewhere else um, or outside but I refused to go into that room because I I guess I was self-aware that I didn't also want to adopt that behavior of complaining mm. and so I was only at that school for one year I kind of shot myself in the foot because I was I decided to leave that school and in turn I didn't have a job lined up for the next year and I was okay with that. Yeah. You, said, you were willing to nope. threaten that yep. sense of safety because I gave up the sense exactly. of security of a position at, in the district in order to get away from that environment. And to me, that was worth it. And it kind of looks like you decided to create your own environment <laughs> where you thrive and allow other people to thrive and yeah. be the best version of themselves. So it's funny. The next year I was hired at a different school and I was there for a couple years. Um, there were some really, it wasn't the same complaining culture at all. Now, obviously like there's people that complain They're They're everywhere that you go, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the same intensity as it was at that other school. Um, but that's when I started to develop that sense of, wait a second, I can actually create my own stuff and identity and and so that's how this whole 
gym thing was created and now it's even more expanding outside of these walls, such as this podcast and public speaking and things like that. So, um, obviously in taking, you know, getting help with coaches and mentorship has been a huge step in changing my beliefs or self-limiting beliefs that I thought, you know, when you're, when I was teaching, there was a level, like once you get to this level, that's it. And you do that level until you retire and, and then that's it. Right. That wasn't, that was like the status quo for me. And I, I'm not down with that. (laughs) Right. Like I, I feel like I'm, I'm limitless and I can, I can keep going. So I needed to leave that limiting environment and get out on my own so that I can help others get out of those limiting beliefs. So I would say my favorite piece to pass on to other people, if, if I could only have a quick second of their time would be to explore an unlimited way of living that there is literally no, cause there really isn't any limitations. We put up all these walls because it's scary cause it's unknown and it goes back to that. Are you making choices? Are you letting fear call the shots or are you going to practice that courage and resiliency and just have faith that even if you fall flat on your face, you're going to be able to pick yourself up, learn, and, and move on in life. It's not that you're going to do it with in the absence of fear. It's still going to be scary. Damn right. I jumped out of a plane after learning that. And that was mm. one thing I had said that I would never do, which is a yucky word for me now. Um, and I was like, okay, what's my number one fear? That's something I can do this week. Okay, I'm going to go skydiving. I was actually pretty awesome and pretty calm before because of the mindset and the beliefs I went into thinking, you know, I don't think I'm going to die today. I don't think I'm meant to die today. I think this is going to be pretty cool. So, and it was, I would do it again. It's funny you say that. So growing up, I've always had a fear of heights. Like I would get like sweaty and like, oh, my heart rate would go up. Uh, and I remember going up into the, I want to say it was in Montreal, the, uh, the Olympic stadium that kind of overlooks, right. Mm-hmm. And I went right to the edge. I was like, screw it. I'm going to face it. So I went oh, right to the edge and looked knees. over. Right. <laughs> and since then, uh, I was, I was teaching people or taking people as an instructor over the, uh, cliffs at Cape and rage. So 150 feet. And so I was like, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to conquer this. And then as of, uh, I think it was in 2019, uh, I was in Whistler and I went for a hike. I was literally just driving to my destination and I saw this little thing on the side of the road that was like, there's like some trails that lead to this bridge. And I was like, cool, I'll go check it out. And as I was walking, uh, I saw this sign that said there's bungee jumping. I was like, holy shit, I've never done that before. <laughs> so I walked over and it's this giant old bridge just over a massive waterway bright blue water. It was the most beautiful sight. And there were people there jumping. I'm like, holy sh! like that looks really scary. And so I talked to people about it and I was like, what's it like? And I watched their little demo videos. I was like, I'm coming back. I'm coming back tomorrow to do this. And uh, <laughs> I set it out as I, I just said, it's going to happen. And I was not fearless. I was act- there was a ton of fear mm-hmm. right up like uh, on the edge. Have you ever done bungee jumping? No, but oh my not God. yet. So I've done <laughs> skydiving and the bungee jump was more frightening than skydiving. I can imagine. I think there's a little more at play of like, I'm going to smash myself off a rock wall or something. I don't know. You can see the earth coming at you very quickly. 
and you don't know when the the tension is going to catch you and pull you back up. Like it's a there's a whole lot of unknown. Yeah. As soon as that so I was scared the whole way. There's a <laughs> it's a photo shoot basically of me going down and you can hear you can see the mouth on me going holy fuck like right every <laughs> every word, every syllable. But then as soon as I got caught in that re- recoil and coming back up, it was all the fear was gone. It was like, oh, I, and then as soon as I was done, I went up and the guy goes, there's nobody after you. You want to go again? You'll do it for free. And what did I say? Yeah. hundred percent. Oh my God. Yes. Exactly Let's do it. Exactly how I felt when I hit the ground. I yeah. remember putting my legs out and sliding and thinking, I wonder if I can go up again. Yeah. Like it was. And I did that when I went skydiving. Yeah. I landed and the guy goes, so how was it? And I go, again, can I do again, it again? again. He goes, <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's 60 bucks. I'm like, Cool. And then I went up and did it again. Where did you go? It was cheap. It's shady. Well, no, it was for the (laughs) second time because I did the whole flight school start. It was like a four-hour school or whatever. Yeah. And then you do your jump and then he let me do it again. And it was, anyway, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it's definitely not with the absence of fear. No, that I was fearful in the middle of that bungee jump. For sure. Did it and then was like, going to do it again. And then guess what? The second time I did it, not as fearful. So the first time I did it, I stepped backwards. So I actually couldn't see the ground coming at me. So it was just like, you just lean back and you just fall. The second time he goes, do you want to try it facing forward this time? Yeah, I do. And that sure it was scary, but I was, I was not going to let my fear stop me from doing it. That's right. And now if I ever go back to Whistler, Guess where I'm going? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna do it again, and I'm gonna not just fall, but I'm gonna try jumping the next time. So I'm gonna like reverse the roles here. What do you think? Well, not really. I'm obviously <laughs> I, lo- I love coaching. So, um, what do you think shifted in your belief system or your identity? Same same thing um, to make you unafraid or push through your fear and conquer this heights situation. Yeah. So that, that started back when, you know, going up into that Olympic stadium and choosing to look over the edge. I think, man, I would have been like 12 or 13 at the time. Um, it was what, what is, what is this going to hold me back from doing? Mm -hmm. And that was more scary than the fear itself. Awesome. So your your belief that you didn't want to be held back took over the belief of heights. What am I going to miss out on in life if I don't overcome this fear? It was like a belief battle. Yeah. And the good stuff won. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think that's often what happens when you shift. Yes. In that situation where I was in a, a dark period of my life doing drugs and alcohol. You looked My at the two pains, right? My belief that this is not the life that I want to live and that I'm meant to live. I don't think that I was meant to be a born human being um, doing chemical drugs and drinking copious amounts and sleeping all day. That's not a life I think anyone's meant to live. Uh, but that belief pulled me out of that and took away the belief that I belonged with these people. So it's like, I guess it would be kind of a belief battle. That's a little bit of an aha moment for me right now, actually. There you go. Um, And to go back to the who you spend the most time with and how that quickly affects you, some people I find are more susceptible to taking on the 
personalities and, and the energy from others than other people are. I feel like you're pretty pretty sturdy in that way. You don't really let that sway. And I think that boils down to your personality type, et cetera, and among, amongst other things. Um, but I myself am very – I mirror people really quickly, which is good for me in a lot of ways, but it can also be dangerous if I'm not around the right people. And when I, I had my partner, Mo, can call me on my shit so good and he knows what I want and what my values are. And we were around a group of people and they were really quickly starting to gossip and talk shitty about other people. And I hopped right in. And within two minutes, he looked at me, gave me this look and was like, so anyway. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. OK, I, I see you. Thank you for the yeah. for the little cue. The um, yeah, he's awesome at that. I think he's he's very similar to you. He kind of is holds very true. He's not uh, influenced easily by other people. He doesn't mirror them very well, which is good in a way yeah. for him. Um, but a book that I just started reading called No Rules Rules um, by the inventor of Netflix has a really interesting take. So I study company culture. That's a funny lot. you say that because I just heard of this book like it's two days so ago. It's so good. Somebody, oh my God. somebody else brought it up. So I've heard it twice. I'm like 15 pages in and I've stopped it. You know how I just talked to you about this before it's the podcast about how when a book gives me that like holy shit moment, I pause it and I have to digest it, talk about it, teach it, really like soak it up. I've, I'm 15 pages into this book that I started since I got back from Kelowna like three weeks ago. It's just, it's got so many peak moments in it. One of the moments was they did a trial. They have like, you know, 300 employees at this point, I believe. Don't quote me on it. It could be 100. Um, and they wanted to see how one person affected a team of 12. Mm. So they broke up the group and gave them a project, a solution or a problem to solve. And they had this actor come in. This is like such gold stuff for me. And he was told to act a bunch of different ways and he'd hop around to the different teams. In one room, he was told to be like a bit of an asshole. And all of a sudden, other people, he brought out the asshole and then pretty quickly, he had a dominant personality. The dominant person in the room will lead the room. Everyone became assholes. They decided not to solve the problem and that they shouldn't have been given this problem. He went into another room and pretended that he was like a slacker. He put his head on the desk. He was all slouchy. He was like, I'm not going to, I'm too tired to do this. Everyone, there was literally people putting their head down on the desk. And he hopped around being different people in different rooms. And they showed how one human being can impact your environment, your energy, and your behavior so quickly. So be cautious on who you let into your energy field. You may not be like Kevin who can go have lunch in a different room. Um, because your sense of belonging is also a strong need, but he obviously uh, didn't allow that to be threatened, which is pretty admirable about him. Business-wise, that makes a lot of sense too. Like you want the right people on your team. Even with our gym, we basically basically interview people. When they come through the door, we do a no-sweat intro, and it's it's almost like a vetting process. Like we get a real good idea if they're going to fit, and if not... I'm not afraid to refer them to a place where they might fit in better. Mm-hmm. That's not just doing a uh, a service for me, but it's also doing a service for them. If, Definitely. If, if we let them in and they don't feel like they belong here, that's painful. That for both that hurts of you. for everybody. Exactly. It, everybody suffers that way. Yep. So I'm I'm at a point now where like we used to be like you know 
if somebody has a wallet, we're going to we're going to let them in. Yeah. We're not like that anymore. We we don't need that. We're okay with people going somewhere else if we know that they're going to fit in there. Mm-hmm. And that's the best thing that we could do for them is is tell them where to go. For sure. Um I end up, I end, I think we need to come to an end here. This is almost going on to an hour. You <laughs> you've just broken the record for the longest. I told you we would do I that. I know, I know. <laughs> I believe that too when we started. So uh, I end all my podcasts with asking uh, my guests uh, one final question. And that is, and again, this podcast is meant to be practical. I want people to step away with this, with something that they can do, some action that they can take. So what would you recommend somebody that, that they could do to become a more resilient person? Study growth mindset. Where should they start? Google it. (laughs) Watch videos. YouTube it. Um, Take one of my favorite things to do is when I'm interested in something um, as a a female, I might take a little more time to get ready in the morning, uh, putting on makeup, doing hair, et cetera, whatever. So wherever you have a gap of time where you're not really paying attention, you're doing the habitual tasks, throw up a YouTube video of whatever you're interested in learning. I have a four-minute growth mindset video that has rocked my world and many others. Uh, I'll share it with Kevin so that he can share it as well. And just research it. Watch videos. Understand it. As soon as you understand it, it's pretty hard to ignore. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. Growth mindset is facilitating resiliency and courage and you know, doing, doing the scary stuff and being scared anyway. It's not like that. I actually do the same thing when I shave. If I shave my face or my head, I chuck on a podcast or something to listen to while I'm doing that activity. So perfect. You, know, you might have to get ready every day. I don't do it every day, but it happens frequently. I, the week, I was so. watching my partner like kind of get ready in two seconds and hop out the door and start working. And I was envious because I like working. And I was like, how can I get a leg up here? Okay, I'm going to I'm going to learn while I get ready. There you go. Stepping yeah. it up. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katie, for spending some time with me today. It's been a... I fill the page like there's a, <laughs> it's a huge, <laughs> awesome. huge page of notes. I always say this. Uh, I've told other people after the podcast that I always learn something after these sessions. So it might be a little selfish of me, but I, I learned more than one thing today. Um, so I'm going to take these things that I've learned and then I use that in my coaching practice. So uh, thank you very much for, for teaching me all these things today. 100% a pleasure. Thanks right for on. having me. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.